21st Century Women on Cambridge 105 Radio and HCR 104 FM. Well, in this edition of 21st Century Women, we discuss cycling as two Cambridge women have been named in the top 100 women in cycling by Cycling UK. Roxanne Debeau, who's a cycling campaigner, and Catherine Thompson, a bike mechanic, tell us what it was like to be recognised as the top women in cycling. Author and artist Virginia Mayo talks about her exhibition in St Ives and what it was like being diagnosed with MS. And well-known local authors Miranda Doyle and Jane Menzer talk about their latest books. That's all coming up in this edition of 21st Century Women. Well, in the studio we have Bobby Jones. Hello there. And me, Linda Ness. I'm going to be starting with the cycling story. Roxanne Debeau and Catherine Thompson, they've both recently been named in Cycling UK's Top 100 Cycling, and I met them to talk about Cycling UK's initiative and what it means to them to be on this prestigious list. I'm joined by Roxanne Debeau and Catherine Thompson, both of whom are in the Cycling UK's Top 100 Women in Cycling. Roxanne, you are part of CAM Cycle, aren't you? That's right, Cambridge Cycling Campaign. And you're the only employee that they have. Everybody else is a volunteer, I believe. That's right. So Cambridge Cycling Campaign has been a volunteer-run organisation for more than 20 years in Cambridge. And I'm their first full-time employee. And I've been in the post for about two and a half years now. You're obviously not from Cambridge, Australia. Is that That's the right. accent yes. I'm detecting? Yes. yes. Yeah. And were you attracted to Cambridge because of its passion for, for cycling? Or is that a complete coincidence? Uh, no, actually, it, it, it is it is one of the reasons that I'm here. So um, my husband and I, we were actually backpacking in South America uh, and he had to leave from Bolivia to come to Cambridge for a job interview. And he was sending me pictures of Cambridge with people cycling everywhere. And, and we'd already cycled in in Melbourne and we just knew that wherever we did choose to live after our backpacking adventure it would have to be a place where we could ride our bikes and um, I basically saw these pictures of Cambridge and went okay sounds good we'll do it so it was a difficult decision to make literally in the middle of nowhere in Bolivia but uh, saw those pictures of cycling and, and now many years later here we are. So tell me about the Cycling UK Top 100 Women in Cycling. It was an idea that Cycling UK had earlier this year to do more to celebrate the women that are involved in the cycling community. And uh, as in so many other industries and areas, sometimes it's hard to hear those those voices from women. So they've made a concerted effort to to do that. So uh, they put a call out through their channels and the people they know to to get nominations for the top 100 women in cycling. I shouldn't say the top, but uh, you know 100 because mm-hmm. we know there's so many more women. The most visible 100 I guess I suppose so and this is the first year that they've done it and they're they're certainly confident they'll have many more years of 100 women in cycling so it just shows how many how many women are out there Uh, so through all these various channels uh, people were nominated and I'm one of them as is Catherine 
Yes, let's have a word with Catherine now. You are a female mechanic, I understand. Yep, that's right. Working for Outspoken Cycles. I'm the head mechanic and I also do a large portion of the instructing that we do there for the bike maintenance. So you have people coming along and um, and taking classes on how to look after their bikes? Absolutely. So we do anything from demonstration sessions in businesses, just showing people how to fix a puncture, to weekend leisure courses, showing people how to set up their gears, fix their punctures, check their bikes, up to a four-day qualification where you'd strip and rebuild a bike, learn how to set up all the various components, put it back together. That's uh, certified with a qualification that I teach, run and uh, assess. What got you into cycling? I'm assuming you did it as a child? You kind of had a bike? Yes, absolutely. I grew up sort of 15, 20 miles north of here, got Manchester... Uh, way went to school in Hinchbrook we always cycled to school me and my friends every day also my my mum uh, had a stroke when I was quite young so she couldn't drive at all so we just learned to do everything by bike so one of the only people really in the area at the time panniers on the back doing the shopping every day by bike and just felt like the best way to get around the most enjoyable way to get around and just a really functional way to get around and the passion's just kind of grown from there really but how did you make that jump from just you know riding around in your bike to actually going right I'm just going to take a spanner out now and <laughs> It's a it's a funny one, really. I mean, I've always been fairly practical. Learned most of the stuff from your dad, like everyone else, how to fix a puncture, oil in your chain, all of that. Although I will say there was a certain amount of unlearning some of the things that he does when I started doing <laughs> it professionally. I guess I graduated from uni. I went away travelling. I came back to Cambridge and I took a part-time job as a cycle courier just because I wanted to be outside, really, more than anything else. And obviously the cycling appealed. And been there ever since. And as I was there, I just started to pick up stuff from the other guys. Always wanted to be able to do it myself rather than ask someone else and just learnt as I went along. Luckily... Um, Rob, the MD there, gave me lots of opportunities to, to grow my skills and just picked up more as I went, worked on the practices and stuff. Is this something you absolutely love doing? I'm kind of getting the feeling that you love your job. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, you couldn't ask for more, really. Not only the satisfaction of, of fixing stuff, but I really, really love just being able to share that with other people, being able to teach them, being able to empower them to, to take away the skills and know that they can ride further, ride longer, ride more often without having any problems. Realising that most of the skills aren't that complicated just a bit of confidence in someone to tell you you're doing the right or wrong thing is, is really helpful and just the look on someone's face even fixing a punch for the first time is really, really satisfying. Yeah. I would say, you know, where I come from in Scotland, people have bikes, yeah? Mm. They're two wheels and, and a seat. <laughs> in Cambridge, it's not really like that, is it? I have seen more diverse bikes here than I've ever I've lost count of the different types and I see them daily. The joy of living in Cambridge now is just the not just the amount of cycling but the amount of different cycling so whether it's going to school with your kids 150 miles on a Sunday and everything in between um, there's just so much cycling and so many bikes which makes it a really really fascinating place to work I will say the downside of Cambridge is that people will ride just about anything here as long as it rolls um, but you know at least they're getting around by bike I think especially in the job that I have we work with a lot of cargo bikes a lot of kids carrying bikes so it's not just coming into work setting up a road bike every day it's it's everything you can imagine. That's really exciting. And how did you feel when you were named as one of the um, top 100 women in cycling? <laughs> um, slightly embarrassed, I guess, <laughs> if I'm honest. Uh, no, obviously, it was really, really great, really wonderful um, to be recognised. And when uh, Roxy and I went to the event and met all these other women, uh, such a such a fantastic evening, just just being around all these inspirational women, you don't get that opportunity very much to be in one a room just full of women, yeah. <laughs> let alone these women with these stories and these just done all these interesting things. And whether it was just getting the women in their area and the guys in their area to ride or whether it was inventing a line of 
the best kids bikes that you can buy to anything in between you know cycling hundreds of miles it's just fascinating cool cool women and to be part of that well I guess the embarrassment comes from you think you're just a mechanic there's hundreds of us in the world but um and all these women were so cool. So I guess really chuffed, but a little bit embarrassed. It's very <laughs> unusual for, to, to be a woman mechanic, I'm imagining, and, and cycling. Yeah, you don't don't get a lot of us. There are certainly women out there. Hi, guys, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> but yeah, it's not so common. And, you know, the reactions that you get in the workshop, they have a huge diverse range from surprise to confusion to people like telling me that they don't really trust my opinion. I've had a couple of times told it's Roxy. Okay. Yeah, one woman who just... Uh, I had a guy with me, he'd been training with me, and uh, she was like, can the guy look? And I was like, well, he, I trained him, so he's going to give you the same uh, response. And oh she was like, oh, goodness. come on, let the guy... And I was, Andrew was just like, I'm I'm, I'm not going to look. I mean, he, he trusts my opinion. In the end, she told me that she was going to take home for her husband to look at, and I thought, fair play, <laughs> see, oh, see you again next time. But really, it's uh, most of the time, people are great, and uh, it was actually... The nomination came from one of the guys that did my course, actually. So that was really nice. He was just really chuffed with the, his experience. So that's really yeah. cool. That's really flattering. Yeah, that's yeah. Really good. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, as I say, embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Roxanne, about the night. Uh, Catherine was talking about getting together with all of the other women in the top 100. Tell me about that evening. Yeah, it was great. I think that we weren't quite sure what to expect and it was a, a bit of a journey getting up to Birmingham and then you walk in the room oh I don't know these aren't the usual faces I see at cycling events but it, that didn't last very long and you just get chatting and talking to so many fantastic women um, we had a range of presentations I think there were about four or five women who stood up and, and told their their stories and they were just so diverse we had a woman who hadn't even known how to ride a bike until she was in her 40s or 50s and she's now taking people out on, on rides and, and getting people in her community in London to get on their bikes and, and cycle and that was just incredible and, and it just made me realise that you sometimes you think oh there's this other person who's on this great big adventure ride and that's not the kind of cycling I do oh am I really that kind of cyclist and actually it doesn't matter the distance it's just what it means to you and it's about that independence and that fun that you can have on a bike and um, and so it's just amazing to hear stories like that um, and then we had Alicia McGowan who's the, the first um, African American woman well she's trying to be the first African American woman to cycle in the Olympics and hearing her story about how she, she got into that and again she came quite quite later in life I think to, to doing that but you know it's never too late if you want to try have this kind of adventure you can. Well congratulations to both of you for being in the 100 women in cycling Thank list you. I think that's absolutely brilliant two women from Cambridge perfect. That was Roxanne Debeau and Catherine Thompson speaking to Linda Ness about being part of the Cycling UK's Top 100 Women in Cycling. And the music was Bicycle by John Kay. I rather like that tune, actually. It's quite an experimental piece of music, that. Um, and I just kind of found it. I was searching for music relevant to playing bicycle uh, mm. interviews with, and that's what popped up. I, I had never heard it before, and I thought it was very, very good. Mm. That interview... Very interesting. And you know what jumped out at me? Go on then, I mean, there were lots of things, because they're great, (laughs) these two. But the thing that really jumped out at me was the story that Catherine told about, you know, she's the head mechanic in a bike shop, yeah? She Mm. really knows her stuff. Mm -hmm. And some women came along with a bike and didn't... There was something wrong with it. And she didn't... um, She didn't believe 
that Catherine knew what she was doing and asked for a boy, a man, to, to look yeah. at it. And, uh, and Catherine said, well, I trained him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, don't you exactly. find that really strange? <sighs> Do I find it strange? No. Actually, I don't find it strange because I think that uh, we've, we women have been brought up to kind of defer to men. And if we're well, not... Maybe care- older women. Not now, I would say. Not like, now. But us, but, you know, our generation. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah. Yes. And uh, we just automatically think that men are better than women. Yeah, but I bet, we she, was know bit, it's I bet she was true. a bit older, that woman. I bet she wasn't, you know, somebody yes. in, her, in her 20s or 30s. Probably. But bit interesting, isn't it? Yes. I remember years ago when women started being women pilots... I think one of them was interviewed on one of these chat shows on a Saturday night. Yep. And I'll never forget this. I mean, it was, she was, it was very funny. Um, when, when it was announced who was flying the plane and she was captaining the plane, um, apparently some women nearly had hysterics and said, oh, are there men up there too that know what they're doing? Ooh. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely the way that you're, you're sort of trained, isn't it? Yeah, it's- but... Pretty, pretty bad that the biggest detractors of women are other women. Oh, no. Really. Yeah, it's, uh, that's not, not good. great, is it? Yeah, we need to change that, women out there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But uh, very well done to these two for being named in the top 100 women in cycling by uh, Cycling UK. Quite a prestigious thing. And they're going to be running this for many years. So, you know, they obviously think there's a lot more women out there that can take part in the top 100. But well done to Roxanne and Catherine for that. Our next interviewee is Virginia Mayo. She's an artist who's putting on an exhibition called All Along the River. And Bobby Johns went along to her home, because he let her out of the studio for once, to meet her, hear about her work uh, that she will exhibit, and about having uh, to adapt to life with multiple sclerosis. Virginia is now showing me a picture of herself, which looks as though she's in jail, but in actual fact, she got herself locked in on Holt Island. So how did that happen? Oh, poor Holt Island. I followed the children. Uh, We'd all been to the Norris Museum to see it opening again. Wonderful in the procession. I went along, followed the children like the Pied Piper into the Holt Island and thought, oh, this is great. There was a fair going on in the churchyard just in front. I wandered in and I was intent on finding a certain corner of it that I'd seen before where you can see the Ossier and you look out across and you can see the river and the chapel bridge and to one side is the dolphin and the other side is the weight. So I drew the weights and the children were coming round and all chatting to me and so were the parents. I was loving it. And then, about half an hour later, I thought, oh, I think I'll do the other one now, I'll do the dolphin. And as I'm doing the dolphin, I think, it's gone very quiet, I wonder where everybody's gone. No, they won't have shut, no, no, I can still hear them all in the Norris. I could hear the noise in St Ives. No, it can't be closed. So I quickly packed away, wandered up to the gate, and yes, (laughs) I was locked in. And that's when I realised the place is like a state penitentiary. It was like Alcatraz. There was wire going all over the top. There were two steel gates. (laughs) You could not get out. 
So there was a number there, 01480 number, Huntingdon number. So I rang them and the man said, oh, no, no, you'll have to stay there till tomorrow. I said, you are joking. He said, no, no, I am joking. It's all right. You call the police and they'll get the keyholes. The police? I said, you're joking. He said, no, no. He said, not 999. It's 101 or something. He said, no, no. He said, they're keyholders. They'll know what to do. I said, but can you do it? He said, I can't do it. You have to. He said, they won't like it if I do it. I said, um... Oh, will you still be there? I said, if I don't get anybody. He said, oh, yes, yes. Um, I'll be here till seven o'clock. I thought, oh, crikey, I hope I'm not. Anyway, I call the police. I say, oh, I'm trapped on Holt Island. Start going on a bit. And then the woman, the policewoman said, um, mm, where is Holt Island? And I thought, oh, this is going well. She said, now, look, don't move. Stay where you are. I'll find the key holders. Don't worry, I'll sort it. So I hung up. I thought, I wonder if I will hit over here for her again or if they'll find my skeleton here in a few weeks' time. Anyway, I go to phone another friend of mine who lives just round the corner from it and I said, look, you remember I was talking to you and saying I was going on Hot Island? Well, I'm still there. I'm locked in. And she said, would you like me to come and throw over some supplies from the bridge and a file? Everyone thought it was so funny. I was terrified for a minute, but I was there for all of ten minutes. The system works beautifully. The policewoman phoned me back and what what Holt Island have set up is a brilliant system that the key holders were one leisure and they were so nice. I was apologising profusely and he thought it was hilarious. So I said, before you go, would you take a picture of me looking mournful through the, the gates? I'm going to put it on Facebook. He was really up for that. He thought that was hilarious. So he did. And that's why we have the photo. <laughs> I'm not going to do that again in a hurry. <laughs> and the photo will go up on our Facebook as well, so <laughs> everyone can see it. <clears throat> what can people see in this exhibition? What are you exhibiting? Right, what we've got is about this 30 pastels. They're freestanding on these balls going through the terrace bar. They've given me the terrace bar for the whole weekend. So it's disabled friendly. You can, you can fit a wheelchair around it. And they will be able to walk round. It will look like the river meandering through the terrace bar. 30 pastels will be on show there and then the oil paintings will be hung up from the railings along the mezzanine, like the artists do along the Seine. And the title of your exhibition is? All Along the River. And so all the pictures... Are about the water the the, well we are a waterlands this is this <clears throat> fenland area is waterlands the water is coming up from source from the ground and flowing out to sea and being directed along canals and so on where they made canals out of the floodplains didn't they several a few hundred years ago mm-hmm. and this is the the land we live on it is a mis- mysterious land it's beautiful and that's what I wanted to capture in my artwork. And I think that you have. They're, they're absolutely fabulous, your, your, your pictures, your pastels, and you've also got some oils as well. Oh, yes. Really, these are quite special because I think you're quite an inspirational lady in that 15 years ago you were diagnosed with MS. Mm. What happened at that time? How did you feel when you finally got that diagnosis? Well, actually, Bobby, I felt relief because at last I wasn't mad. There really was something and it had a name. And I could understand why I kept falling downstairs and so on. But at the same time, I had to adapt my life. I used to teach children. I used to go into schools and talk about uh, my illustrated children books but I had to stop doing that this is why I do my own artwork now and I came to this area through the MS therapy centre in Hartford and I'm very glad I did 
because my life began again. That's fabulous. And earlier you were telling me that you started swimming and that really helped you. Ah, yes. I started going to the swimming pool in God Manchester shortly after I moved here. I, I was actually in a wheelchair for a while and I really couldn't move my legs at all. And I gradually um, learnt to swim and walk along the water. And a lovely lady called Kelly at the God Manchester swimming pool here was very, very helpful and helped me to put the woggle underneath my body, feel the weight of my body and get the feeling back in my legs and gradually they've come back. That, that's a, a really interesting story and I'm glad that you, you've told us that. Life doesn't end with disability. We people with disability have had lives and we can go on contributing to the community with what we do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for telling me and I hope that everyone is going to go along and see your exhibition. And that was Bobby Jones speaking to Virginia Mayo about her art exhibition, which will run at the Dolphin Hotel in St Ives on October the 28th and 29th. The music was Let the River Run by Carly Simon. She sounded great fun, Bobby. She was great fun, and I found her incredibly inspiring. Mm -hmm. She was a very inspiring lady because of the MS. Before that, she was an author, and she wrote some exquisite uh, children's books. And uh, we had a look at them, and they were lovely, with beautiful illustrations and and things that she had done herself. Mm -hmm. And then she was suddenly over taken by MS and it totally was totally um, debilitating yes Mm -hmm. yes and uh, she has really fought her way back but this swimming thing Mm. you know walking in the water that's remarkable that is amazing isn't it but of course too it's down to her and the way that she has she was determined that it was going to work and Mm -hmm. she's made it work I had a, a friend who had MS many years ago and uh, he very quickly went from walking quite normally to being mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. The, the deterioration right. was quite quick. And he was doing yoga at the time, I seem to remember. That's interesting because Virginia said to me that she's done um, yoga the whole of her life mm-hmm. and that that did help her yeah. in the very bad time. So mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. This is 21st Century Women. Well, Liz Kelly met up with authors Miranda Doyle and Jane Menzer, who talked about the process of writing their books. Hello, Miranda Doyle. Hello. I'm in the library in Huntingdon and we've just heard a great talk by Jane Menzer um, about her book and you were there sort of facilitating the talk, asking her questions. Yes, um, we met ages and ages ago, 2008-2009, on an escalator programme which is run by the Writers' Centre in Norwich and I think both of us as women find it incredibly difficult to find time to write and I think if we were 
able to that's all we would do yeah it's what you're really really enjoying yes. doing and you've had a book published this year yes called a book of untruths yeah. published by faber uh in june and it's a desperate book i'm just very disloyal and it's full of gossip dreadful dreadful it's gossip. very very readable i, I started this morning are on you your kidding website. yeah um, <laughs> you've got extracts from it yes and they're sort of numbered but they're not sequential or if no. they're sequential they're not there's a maths leap between them i'm yes. not sure quite what it is yes. but you've picked certain extracts to show on the website and yes give people a flavor of untruths reading this today I'm, I'm feeling very much that, actually, I know that I've not been so truthful in my later life as I was when okay, I was younger. Okay, that's very interesting. But I don't think I was as truthful as I thought I was okay. earlier on. Now, when I see what you mean by untruths, the kind of way we sort of portray ourselves. Or yes. The and do you think that deceit you? is about you? Or do you think it's actually telling lies in the way that Donald Trump tells lies? Um, I think there's I, a big difference between the active line that he allows himself and then there's the other kind of lying where we uh, supposedly women lie to make other people feel better yeah to make them feel comfortable yeah. yes and so we're constantly at it we'll be doing it a lot every day yeah and you've probably lied to me and i probably lied to you already oh i really really <laughs> hope i haven't so i'm be very they're honest they're <laughs> but this sort of sense of just facilitating to make someone feel much more comfortable mm. that we we are actually brought up to do that as yes. women and I think it might be a sort of a an indication of how easily people fit into yes social life by how much they're willing to Compromise. just play the yes. game and, yes. and perhaps tell the white lie or yeah and themselves I think, across in a certain way and I suppose with the book I really hope there's somewhere for everyone mm. that there will be times where we've been terribly lied to and times where we've been a terrible liar and that we would recognise those incidents in our own lives. But also there's quite a lot of, well, not quite a lot, I think a small amount of science in there, just talking about the figures and why, you know, why women lie, for instance, and why men lie. Um, Is it a Venus-Mars thing? Well, I, I think men lie to make themselves look better. Mm. But that's not science is it really we all knew that <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of psychology is like that it's about proving what we actually yeah, you know. know exactly yeah. exactly mm-hmm. my father was a consummate liar and unfaithful the length of his married life and I, I suppose when I found out who he was I felt very let down mm. and that's partly why I wrote it it's been very well received hasn't it yeah I can't believe it everyone's been so kind because yeah, it is a desperate been on a, book a massive trip since this has been published yes going around the country talking at lots of different events about it you've been on Radio 4 yes I, I hope it's because people can find a place for themselves and that's why it's, people have been so kind about it because it is a truly desperate disloyal book <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a name for the genre of this book? Is it a memoir? Yes. And I feel a bit embarrassed that because memoir has this terrible reputation. Uh, in a sort of sad memoir kind of thing. Well, yeah, yeah, misery memoir. Mm. And, of course, some parts of it are a bit miserable. I'll have to confess. But it's... I hope it's opening out to others rather than just about a narcissistic narration of myself. Oh, that would be so boring. <laughs> I think it's a fascinating device, the way you've written it. And I think a lot of people, well, they obviously have enjoyed it already and a lot more are going to. Did you feel you always had a book in you? I have a huge number of 
terrible books underneath the bed. <laughs> okay. But this is this was something I wrote at night just for fun. Mm. I didn't expect it ever to wind up in a book. Okay. And how how were you sort of writing? Were you perched in bed sitting up with a laptop or just scribbling notes? Or? Well, because because of work, I would just finish putting kids to bed or mm. dinner and then I would just start at the computer and just enjoy myself. Um, a break from the day job. Yeah. So your day job is actually as a PA to... Yeah! No? To Can a you believe it? Professor. professor. The Herschel Smith Professor uh, of Molecular Genetics. So very scientific work then yes. that you're dealing with. And yeah, my partner is a scientist as well. Okay. And that's actually had an implication on the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do discuss one of the experiments my boss has done uh, around stress okay and how we inherit stress from our parents and it's Mm. actually has an impact on our dna which i thought was fascinating and i think if i was working in another environment that wouldn't be possible to have access to that sort of stuff so you have also benefited from this escalator award which jane has benefited from. Uh, can I bring you in, Jane, yes, now yes. to this? So Jane Menzer has been given the talk today in the library about your book, An Unlikely Agent, and you two met because you were part of this escalator scheme. Is that right? Yes, that's right. We were actually on different years of it, but they, they kind of bring everyone together for a workshop, and we met through that. Okay, so how long does it last it two years? Or? It lasts a year, although you came back at the end of your year, didn't you? But okay. we were actually very fortunate because we, we both got invited back to talk, um, having had our books published mm. um, this year, and talk to the new um, Escalator writers, which was really nice to go back. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Must be a very jolly team of people, I, I imagine, or you know, really, really keen on what they're doing. Though. Yes, definitely, very dedicated. I had a great mentor as well, mm. um, Midge Gillis, who's a biographer. Um, and she was really helpful. So the talk that you've given was greatly appreciated just now. There were lots of questions that uh, you started off with, Miranda, and then you didn't really need to do anymore. Halfway through, the audience just took over, didn't they? I have to say it was one of the most enjoyable events I've been at. Perhaps, you know, it's about not being the person who's got to (laughs) perform. (laughs) But it was... More relaxing for you, Well, but, But the audience, I think, was what was so so good was the audience and how relaxed mm. and interested and great great questions really good questions obviously all keen readers yes I thought they were a wonderful audience yeah. I thought they asked really interesting questions and they made me think about things that I hadn't thought about before mm. um so yeah it was, it was it was and actually I expected to be really quite nervous but the audience really put me at my ease so it was a really enjoyable good. event for me too yeah so you read a couple of extracts very well received and lots of questions came out of that I think people got a good flavour of the book and you sold quite a few. I did, more than I was expecting, actually. So you are actually a secondary school teacher yourself and you teach drama. So do you think that sort of helped get into the dramatic mindset needed for a, a novel like you've written? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely helped because um, I did a lot of reading aloud as I was writing and so getting the voices of the characters. So I think, yeah, there's definitely a crossover there. Did your students know you were writing a book? No. <laughs> I kept <laughs> they it know very now? So, yes, they, some of them know now. The story writing process for you is actually inevitably taking a long time because you're a very busy person. Mm, yes. It started back in 2003, I think you said. That's when I first started writing the book. It took me probably five years to write it. it. I mean, it didn't feel, to be honest, while I was writing, it didn't feel 
like a long time or when am I going to get this finished because I was really enjoying doing it sure. and then it took it took much longer than that to get the book to a point where it was actually published but <laughs> and publishing yeah. is never straightforward but in no. fact you didn't have too many twists in the tail there did you I was very lucky because um, I got an agent very early on just through a massive stroke of luck before mm-hmm. I fi- finished my first novel and then through the escalator scheme I had a change of agent uh, and then when that didn't work, my first agent, who's amazing, got back in touch with me out of the blue after years and years and asked to look at the book, and that was really how it ended up getting published. So it was, I mean, a lot of it, obviously, you have to just keep going, but then there mm. is luck as well. Yeah. And, and the right person getting to read it and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, what, what the publisher's planning to be published next and whether what you've written fits in with that. So there's all of that as well. For both of you, have you got follow-up plans? Will there be more untruths and... Are we going to have another unlikely agent? I submitted a novel on Thursday to oh, my agent. Well done. Of course, I'm worried that it isn't more untruths. People ask, you know, what am I doing? And and I, I feel like I should be doing the same thing again. But this is very, very different. So I'll, I, I don't know how it will go. And for you, um, Jane? <laughs> well, I, I've definitely got some ideas for a sequel. And what I'm working on at the moment is actually the novel that I wrote before this one which is different characters and set in a slightly earlier period so okay. I'd, I'm, I'm revising that and I want to get that finished Is that and Victorian then, then? It's yeah mid-Victorian and then hopefully I mean was, I'm not sure how that one will go but then hopefully if the publisher would like me to write the sequel it's all ready to go Yeah. so I have to wait and see Fantastic, well thank you very much It's been great meeting you both and uh, Thank you, real you. pleasure <laughs> Not the kind of game I play. So, have you ever been to any uh, book readings by authors, Bobby? Not recently. Oh, actually, I think you have. Have I? Yeah. Oh, yes, you're yes. right. Yes, we went together, didn't we? We did. I'd forgotten all about that. And it was so exciting. Gosh. We went and we heard and we saw, because we were in the front row, mm-hmm. Jenny Murray. We did indeed. Dame Jenny Murray. Dame Jenny Murray. Yes, she, she was talking about her book, uh, A History of Britain in 21 Women. She didn't actually read extracts from it, but she did you know, mention some of the women that she has written about in her book. And I thought it was a really entertaining and really interesting evening. Yes, yes it was. And it was quite exciting to have been that close. We could almost have reached out and touched her. Well, Amazing. In, fact, in fact, I practically did because I had my photograph taken with her. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Poor Jenny, she had been abroad, hadn't she? And she'd just come back. It was a Monday evening and she'd flown back from Sweden, I think. And she had got a most croaky voice. It was yeah, absolutely she had a very bad awful. cold and a cough. Yeah. Yes. And and of course we're getting into the season for coughs and colds. Yes we are. Yeah. And I went and had my flu jab oh, you just did? the did other you? day. I did. Yeah. So there'll be no excuses for you this well, winter, no sickies for you. B- being of a certain age one feels that <laughs> one ought to do these things. But you but can go you can just go in. You can book to have yep. them done, can't you? You don't yep. have to go to your doctor. No. Nope. You can go into pharmacists and yep. whatnot, can't you? I went to a very well known chemist shop and had it done on the spot. Very efficiently. And how much did that cost you? Absolutely nothing. Really? Yeah. Maybe if you're 
a little bit younger than me, you might mm. have to. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the pharmacist said to me that it would be a fortnight before I was fully protected after having had the jab um, and that it would uh, protect me from the four normal expected flu type germs that are hanging around this year. So you can bet your life that I'll get one that is not one of the four. Because <laughs> that's what I do. Well, that's all we've got time for in this edition of 21st Century Women. Our thanks go to Roxanne Dibble, Catherine Thompson, Virginia Mayo, Miranda Doyle and Jane Menzer. If you're listening to HCR 104FM, next up is a country show with John and Jackie Manders. And on Cambridge 105, it's 105 Sport with Jack Swindlehurst and Matt Robinson. This show will be available as a podcast on iTunes and on Mixcloud. We'll be back in November. Until then, it's goodbye from Bobby Jones. Goodbye. And from me, Linda Ness. See you next time. 